to the Better Golf Podcast, powered by Win Daily Sports, where betters go to bet better. Here are your hosts, Tee Off Sports and Sticks Picks. Better Golf Pod Nation, welcome back to the program, and I hope you had a successful PGA Championship. If you're new to the show, I'm Spencer Aguiar, otherwise known on Twitter as Tee Off Sports. And as always, I am joined by my co-host, Nick Bretwish, who you can find online at Sticks Picks. The two of us will be taking you through the board for the Charles Schwab Challenge, hoping to keep the momentum rolling this weekend in Texas. But before we get into everything you need to know about Colonial and how we can extract the information for good use, I want to quickly run through what transpired last weekend at Southern Hills. First off, I hope everything is going well for you, Nick, but talk to me a little bit about your DFS weekend and the bets that you had for the PGA Championship. Yeah, the bets were okay. Um, not, I did not do that well in, I guess the top placement was okay. I did cash out, which I never do, but it was at even money before the tournament. Seamus, when he got the bad draw, but he had a really good tournament. Um, Leishman, I'd never got to the window, but Tommy Fleetwood, the hammer kid, Chris Kirk, my secondary hammer, both got there. That was great. I would have loved some way for Chris Kirk to win that tournament because I probably would have retired. I had a lot of exposure to Chris Kirk in every single format of everything. Uh, a live ticket on Sunday, which is something I usually don't do, but I loved what I saw out of JT. And I just, I, I know Mito played really well outside of 18. Like he had some monster, monster par saves. Like his balls were on the table and he was making big putts when it mattered most. Um, but I like mentally, I never thought that Mito was going to win that tournament. Like Sunday morning, didn't think so. Midway through the tournament, didn't think so. Going into 18, I started to think so. And then, you know, he just like people arguing about the club. I think it was the right club. 18 is a really long hole. It's just a really weird swing. It was a bad, bad swing. I would, if I was his caddy, I would have told him to hit driver too. Just don't miss right and don't do whatever the hell that like little helicopter finish was. It just didn't seem like his swing. Maybe the pressure got to him. It happens. It's his first time contending at a major. I think only his second major ever he's played in. Um, correct me if I'm wrong there. I think that's that's what it was. Um, but Ricky Fowler too, top 40. I'm going to be back on that train this week. I love what I see out of Ricky lately. But in DFS, I was a full, full, full fade in my 150 lineups on Cameron Young. That obviously hurt. I did make profit on my 150s, though, outside of him. I was so heavy on Chris Kirk. Um, but Alex Noren, I think, ruined any sort of, like, sexy weekend I could have had because I had 40% of my 150 lineups with Alex Noren. Kind of pisses me off because as the week was going on, his ownership kept crepting up, and it was at, like, or creeping up, sorry. It was uh, at, like, 10%. Wednesday midday when I started to build and that really freaks me out because it's you know that low tier chalk that I always want to avoid but Noren graded out so well for me he had the weather edge which is great that certainly was a factor on Thursday and Friday and you know everything else that I did that lined up really well but he shoot all you need to do is not shoot four over par on Friday or he could have shot four over par he wouldn't make the cut he couldn't shoot five over par he shoots a six so that sucked. Um, but other than that, it, it was, you know, outside the Cam Young fade, everything was good. I did make profit in DFS, so that was good to see. But it should have been so much better because how much exposure I did have to JT. I, he was one of the few I kept on the bad weather wave, and he ended up winning the damn thing. But I don't know. I had a ton of Mito, too, so like that's what sucks. Norin, I think, killed it because 40% of my lineups had a lot of those guys all paired up, but they had Norin in it, sinking them down. But... Other than that, you know, disappointing finish for Chan Kim. So maybe next time he gets a weather edge and he wins the thing. But other than that, fun tournament. I mean, Sunday watching it was a blast, but I'll quit rambling. How about you? 
Well, the time's going to come for Chan Kim. We all know that on this show. Oh, the but... total of units. Sorry to cut you off. Was plus 5.98. So it was a great win, but that was me getting a little crazy with Justin Thomas live at 14 to 1. So other, if you take that out, it's a bad week for me. So he said my ass there. I ended up adding Justin Thomas uh, when Mito found trouble and, and he found the water on 18. I ended up betting Justin Thomas at plus 100. So that's where I got my exposure. And I was just to win a unit on it. It was a unit to win a unit. So I essentially got back all my outright tickets for the week. But I feel like you and I have been the leading proponents in this space to try and move things more towards other markets and not just outright bets. You know, hitting those wagers will always be a luxury when they happen. But it will also never be the sole reason for us not having a winning four days. Sure, it can help propel us when we do connect, but it's why we continue to stress the importance that the majority of your exposure should take place in the more sustainable markets that allow bankroll growth. And we kind of saw all of that come to fruition with my card at the PGA Championship. I didn't suffer quite the same fate as one of my friends that had a 300 to one outright ticket on Mito Pereira. But it was another week where I felt like I was a few shots away from a massive score since three of my five outrights did finish in the top eight. Bad runs like that are never shocking since it is the most volatile market out there. And neither Nick nor I overexpose our outright cards with all the favorites to try and post a winner. But the week was a pretty smooth sailing affair in general, as not only did my pre-tournament head-to-head wagers go 5-0, and but I was also able to connect on top 40s with Tommy Fleetwood plus 140. That was a great call on your part, Nick. And Aaron Wise plus 180 to add 6.32 units to my bankroll when all was said and done. In reality, that is the less recognized but safer path for long-term success being on full display. But before we completely move on, we actually have another five-digit score from DFS to quickly talk about. This time from at Sloss underscore Revenge on Twitter, who had over 24,000 in winnings this weekend on DraftKings. I will continue beating the drum that the data-driven approach will pay dividends at the end of the day. And it's something that Nick and I are going to keep driving home until we have an RB behind us to take down these sports books and non-listening DFS users of the show. So congratulations once again, the sloth. But do you have anything else you want to add to that, Nick, before we jump into the Charles Schwab? No, let's get right into it. And uh, I'm excited. I think I like this week a lot. I do too. So Colonial Country Club, 7,209 yards, par 70, bent grass greens. Last five winners have been Jason Kokrak in 2021 at 14 under, Daniel Berger during the COVID restart in 2020 at 15 under, Kevin Na 13 under in 2019, Nick's boy Justin Rose at 20 under during the 2018 iteration. I feel like that might be a sign for my guy to win this week and complete the team effort at the track. And then Kevin Kisner 10 under in 2017. That is a rather eclectic group that highlights a bomber such as Jason Kokrak and accuracy golfers like Kevin Non, Kevin Kisner. But anything you noticed about the property, Nick, when you were doing your research that can maybe pinpoint something more than the rudimentary answer of this being a wide open test where anyone can win? <laughs> no, I mean, when push comes to shove, obviously we want elite ball strikers. We want people that are accurate off the tee. And, uh, you know, uh, it's not a long course, but I do. My model does seem to prefer guys that hit a little bit longer. So I am not nearly as high on Kevin uh, numbers wise as you are. But bentgrass putting um, putting is going to be very important this week. I really don't care at all about strokes in around the green, which is something I really wanted last week, something I really wanted at Augusta. So I'm looking for elite ball strikers who can sink putts, preferably have really good bank rest uh, history. Course history is obviously important here because I played it a lot. So I did weight that rather heavily. I think it was up to 15%, which is tied for the first um, or the highest in my model this year. 
So I am going to try and best explain this without making it one of these horrible math equations where the answer makes less <laughs> I'm sense. I'm just going to sit down and listen. I'm, I'm going to get popcorn. Don't mind me. I, I, I will say, I think you explained this in a very um, easy to understand process, and now I'm going to go the reverse with it. But the first thing that stuck out to me was the tree-lined fairways that tend to stymie second shots from advancing as anything more than a punch out. That should naturally make you enhance some combination of either total driving or fairways gain. And we see that point become pronounced a second time when looking at the lay of the land. Forced layups off the tee will help stretch the distance of the course. I think that's probably why Nick is correct that distance does matter a little bit. And the venue is cut in a fashion to try and make the field plod their way from shot to shot. That means the ability to connect with the short grass off the tee and then dial in your irons into the smaller than average greens will turn this from solely a putting contest that often makes for a terrible betting week and instead into more of a hybrid version that will highlight proximity ranges, even if putting still does play a vital part in the outcome. So the first note when it comes to proximity is that 85.4% of irons take place from zero to 200 yards. That means we will get 8.3% fewer shots than average from 200 plus. I always run a handful of categories that try to most accurately depict what we should expect out of the track, but this week's model only looked at one category for 100% of the weight, which was a weighted strokes gain total stat. Typically, that would signify a basic sum product equation that looked into off the tee, approach, around the green, and putting. And while that might still hold some value in my model this week, it's a lot more advanced than the straightforward answer would suggest. And as Nick alluded to, I also am not looking any around the green, so maybe Calling it a strokes gain total test might not actually be a true thing because there is no around the green. It's it's ball striking plus putting is essentially if you want to like condense it to that. But to me, Colonial is basically a three-step setup where the first part of the process is to make sure you find the short grass off the tee. That doesn't necessarily mean accuracy drivers because of the forced layups where the field will club down. But golfers that can find fairways will immediately position themselves for a better opportunity to strike. The way I got my data here was looking specifically at venues with narrow fairways that were at short courses and then taking a good drive percentage at those stops to better understand the competitors that would be most likely to find success. The second portion came down to iron play and hitting a high percentage of greens in regulation. I eliminated anything from 200 plus yards because of the reduction we see here versus a typical track, but because the surfaces are small yet still hard to get close for even the best iron players, hitting a high percentage of greens will give you your best chance to at least find makeable looks. I mentioned not being able to get close because the field hits it to zero to five feet, 8.8% less than an average test, which is why we see this weird combination of off the tee and approach mattering, but still not yielding a birdie shootout since most looks will take place from deeper than normal. For the weighted proximity portion, I recalculated the historical trends from zero to 200 yards, but left that and my good drive number solo for the time being until I added in the putting. I am not going to go too much into what went into my flat stick metric because it would overly convolute the process, but it did take past trends from the track from numerous ranges, including five to 10 feet, 10 to 15 feet, and 15 to 20 feet. I then mixed all of that together to get the best putters from those ranges and added in a pretty high combination of bent grass putting to go with a few lesser factors. So that puts us in this new spot now where I had my driving number to get the first step of the equation, the approach play to avoid trouble and create better looks, and the putting that would take all those opportunities created and figure out who would be most likely to not only create the look, but then possibly make the putt when we added in the sheer number of chances that were going to be produced. So before I give my top five, did all of that make sense, Nick? 
Yeah, it uh, it reminds me. I got Colonial on my uh, my simulator, and I play it often. If you do not hit fairways, um, you're you're screwed. And I do not hit a ton of fairways, so that course usually eats me up. If, when I play from the tits, it's tough because you have to hit driver, and that's like my least favorite club. So I, I usually tee off with a three wood and put that you know out there plenty. I do hit it decently long, but uh, three wood off the tee does not get it done for me at that course. And driver does not hit many fairways so colonial eats me up so i would just reiterate you know the simulated version of 0.0 miles per hour wins um playing in a garage too with yeah i I don't know i'm rambling the course is hard if you don't hit fairways so hit fairways guys and then make putts but i have it set to eight foot get me so i usually putt pretty well in those conditions (laughs) but it looks like it's going to be a decent weather week thursday and friday should be pretty calm saturday and sunday should be really windy but when I'm making lineups and stuff like that, I'm never thinking about Saturday and Sunday. I just want my guys to make the cut and then let the weekend unfold as it may. Yep. As we keep saying, I think wind is always more of a, a daily showdown thing than a full tournament thing. And we even saw that last week a little bit, not to keep going backwards into it, but you know, Justin Thomas was on the wrong end of the weather draw. I do know there was a difference there, but it's usually never as pronounced as you think it is. So just keep that in mind. You can find a way to create leverage in different ways, but The top five of my model when running all of those numbers, Colin Morikawa, Justin Thomas, Kevin Na, Victor Hovland, and Jordan Spieth. When running it for upside, it yielded Sam Burns, Morikawa, Answer, Hovland, and the man, the myth, the legend, Webb Simpson. First off, thoughts on the names I just read. I think that might have been the most convoluted breakdown that still produced exactly what you would expect up top if you look solely at the odds. And second, what did the top of the board look like for you, man? I uh, I love Sam Burns being number one for upside. I can't quit that guy. He's um, he's the uh, he was my first round pick in my season long fantasy golf draft, and you know obviously he won at uh, the Valspar. But I think this is a great venue for him as well, as long as he can hit fairways, which I guess is maybe the only downside of him is he's a little erratic off the tee of late. But other than that, I, I love everything about it. I got JT, Scotty, Willie Z, Spieth, and Homa in the top five. Homa uh, to way add- up there. Homo was not. I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts in one second on that. Let me give the Sam Burns answer uh, that I was going to give. So Sam Burns for me, when I look at weighted good drive percentage, so that's going to take the narrow fairways. It's going to take the, the fairways that are hard to hit, and it's going to try to figure out who are the best golfers at those course. Says uh, Sam Burns, fifth in my model, which is a big improvement from 69th overall in driving accuracy. But uh, nice. tell me why you like Max Homa this week. Homa just grazed out crazy high for me in – uh, expected strokes gained approach off the tee is very good. And the putting, it it predicts him to gain 1.5 strokes putting on the bank grass surface. So that's just my model being a little bit predictive, but it, I don't know. I don't like Max Homa, but uh, at 9,400 now, I think I may have to, but he's got to be pretty popular, right? He's got to be 15%-ish. I haven't met 13, in terms of DFS, 13%. That would place him 16th overall in ownership. So Not that's, that's fine. Yeah, that's, yeah that I mean, when, when my mouse spits him out as number five overall, um, I think I'd probably have to give that a look. One spot over Hovland, who I love. I love Hovland this week because, you know, the around the green really doesn't matter, like we said. But I don't know. See what happens. But, yeah, I think just Max Homa, um, he's not a great putter. But what he when he is, it's usually on bent grass. And I like him in terms of that, I guess. Well, let's continue that then, I guess, talking about additional values on the DK board before getting into anything else. Anyone else you were much higher on than their DK price? Yeah, Sun JM, baby. 
that's my boy this week. 9,200. I would have, my mouth says he should be priced at like 99 to 10K range. He hasn't played in a long time. He had the COVID and everything like that. So, what's his ownership on yours, real quick? Because I love Sanjay's. Tell me his sub 10. Yeah, 8.6%. That is the 28th <laughs> player in ownership. I'm probably going to be a fish and just go all in on him, but we'll see what happens. I guess it's not a fish move if no one's playing him, but I don't know. He hasn't played in a while, so that's a little concerning. Um, in terms of Brian Harmon, um, my model absolutely loves him. Literally, I don't think the guys missed the cut at this event or finished outside the top 30 to 31, maybe I think was his worst finish here in 10 years. So Brian Harmon, I think I would still play him if he was priced in the mid eights. He's at 7.8 K and then Justin Rose at 7,700. My model seems to love Justin Rose and Jason Kokrak. You talked about him earlier. He's in the low eights. I think he's got win equity here as well. So I like all three of those guys in well, Sanjay, obviously, I, I talked about him, but Justin Rose, Jason Kokrak, and Brian Harmon as like my top mid-tier value guys. Pending ownership, we'll see what happens. So I think my two favorite plays on the entire board, surprise, surprise, Webb Simpson, 8,700, and Justin Rose, 7,700. One, that should show what a good friend I am to you that I accept in taking your golfers as one of my own, Nick. But more importantly, <laughs> I love Justin Rose, you're right. Both have real win equity this week at lesser price tags than they should in this field. Um, you know, if is if web you, sub sub 10%? Because that was my whole thing on our text thread before today. I said I will be heavy web if he's sub 10, sub 15. If he's over that, I'm a full fade because I still think he's got plenty of crumble equity too. I haven't said that. I have him at 9.9%. Um, if I move his percentage to 14%, he technically is still good leverage in my model. So, I mean, I guess I you're mean, kind of in the right range of what you're saying, but I don't know. I really like Webb this week. Like, obviously, I'm not going to play him, and I don't think we're going to get to this point to where he ever gets there, but I would kind of be fine in that 18% range. Like, you're correct. He does have some, like, crumble equity to his game, but I also think he has the upside, and at 8,700, there's a lot to like about him there, but... Uh, he's gaining strokes off the tee like crazy. He's a good putter in general and better on on bent grass. The only thing for me is like iron play hasn't been that good this year. So it was the last week, obviously. And you'd said it too. And your miles number one leverage play last week was Webb Simpson. And I did not use much of him because I play with my heart. But that was a hell of a call because he was great last weekend. And no one was on him, of course. Man, nobody listens to me anymore. I think I've, I'm like the boy who cried wolf on that one. But yeah. uh, I mean, do you mind if we run through this? I, You know, last week we played good chalk, bad chalk with it. I'm thinking this week we can keep it the five minutes. Maybe just run through these ranges very quickly. Talk about a couple guys that we like in each section. Uh, start I will up take in the, the L on Cam Young. Bad chalk last week. I will also take the L on that. I, I think I also said Will Zalatoris was bad chalk. So those two were not. I liked Will. All right. I'm, I'm cool with Will. Once the weather edge came, but that's what should have pushed me on Cam Young too. But I couldn't play everybody. They were all so damn high owned. If Cam Young shits a bet, I have a great week with the Noren debacle still. Yeah. I mean, sometimes when you take stances like that, that's what's going to happen. But uh, oh. Noren. Noren pisses me off. Sorry. I'm just going to think about that all show. Now stuff's falling. <laughs> all right. So Let's do it. Uh, so the $10,000 range and up is pretty strong for me from top to bottom. The two that I am least intrigued by, uh, Scotty Scheffler would be the first one. Ownership kind of dictates that. And I guess I don't learn my lesson. Will Zalatoris would be the second. I think Thomas, Morikawa, Hovland, and Spieth are all in play for me. Uh, any thoughts with that range in general? Yeah, I think... 
I'm fine fading Will Z. I mean, I'm sure it was a tiring Sunday, but the kid's young. He's going to come out there. He's going to play. Um, the approach, obviously, is just absolutely nuts right now. But his putting, I think, if anything, at that price, there's plenty of guys around him. Like, Jordy's pretty close. Victor Hovland's cheaper than he is. Uh, give me Victor all day. Um, I wouldn't say, I don't know, would I play Sanjay M over Will Z? Probably not, just because we haven't seen Sanjay in a while. But I'm trying to think of, like, Sam Burns. Give me Sam Burns over Will Z. Assuming that Will's ownership's through the roof, what is it? Not that high right now. Um, no, or- it's 9.1%. Like, I mean, there is like leverage based off of that answer. And it's like the same thing with Scheffler. So I'm not necessarily giving answers that most of the public isn't thinking themselves, but I don't know. Zalator scares me. I'll get in a little bit more of why I don't like him. Cause I have a head to head play to talk about that. I'd like to get your thoughts on which, um, I mean, based off of what I've heard so far, I think you will like, even though you don't normally like playing two players at the top of the board. But as far as Zalatoris is concerned, like, I don't love Sungjae as much as you do. I'd rather play Sungjae over him. I definitely would rather play Sam Burns over him. Yeah. I would rather play Answer over him. I'd rather play Finau over him. So there's just a lot of names that are going. To, I, I this is probably asking for trouble. I'd rather play Webb Simpson over him. Ooh, I don't. I kind of like that. It's right by his house, isn't he? A Dallas guy. His dad like owns all of downtown Dallas. I guess if I've read that correctly. Yeah, Dale's Fort Worth right there. So I don't know. I think Will's in a good spot if he's under 10% owned for sure. And, and I don't have a problem, which I'll get into. I don't think there's going to be like some masters runner up hangover problem to it, but uh, we'll get into that in a second. But moving into the $9,000 range, any thoughts there? I know you mentioned Sung Jay. I know you've mentioned a couple of these guys so far. Um, $9,000. What about Finau? Finau is like, much uh, to me. I, I don't like him that much. I like Finau this week. I, I, I like him when he's in the upper sevens, low eights, ninety one hundred. I'm most interested in Sam Burns in GPPs just because he's my top right. upside player. Uh, I like answer even at the ownership, and and I would play Tony Finau at ninety one hundred. I think you could make an argument that maybe he's a better cash game play than anything, but at thirteen percent, there's still leverage to be had on it. Like he's sixth in my model overall. He does have negative leverage or sorry, win equity when it comes to looking at that. But uh, safety looks really good. And I mean, 13% is fine in my model. Yeah, that's not too bad. All right. What about, I mean, more cow I get, we're going down to 9K. You do like answer. I feel like that's one guy I'm just not sold on right now. See, that's, that's where I think our difference is going to be this week. Uh, to me, my fade in this section, and I'd like to get a fade from you also. Maybe answer is going to be the answer to that. But uh, yeah, he's 24th in my model and super high on yours. So obviously, I, I trust yours more than I trust mine because mine's a little bit like tries to be predictive. But in terms of like where he grades in my model to where his price is, I would probably have to fade if he's going to be over 15% owned. But he's such a good pink grass putter too. So that worries me a little bit. But you can't play everybody. So I got to take a stand. No, you have to pick and choose your spots. I mean, like, I understand what you're saying. Like, to me, my fate in this section is going to be Max Homa at 9,400. I noticed he was a substantial dog in all his offshore matchups, and he was the lowest graded player on my model in that And he's range. a bad bank grass putter, too. He is, and that's something like answer is eighth, I believe, uh, on bent grass greens in my model. I could double check that, but I'm pretty sure that's the right answer there. He's definitely one of, like, a top 10 player there. So uh, I like answer. The ownership is going to be... I mean, it's at least going to make you consider it. But uh, moving into the $8,000 section, we all know I like Webb. I think Fleetwood is fine. We were talking off air about Kevin Nod being 18% owned. You know, I would be much more intrigued if he wasn't uh, that high 
owned on the board. But any thoughts on this group? I think I'm going to fade Fleetwood. As much as I like him as a golfer, he I see his ownerships close to getting closer to 15%. I yeah. think I would bail there. Um, what about Mito? I think that's the main question for me. I, like what, what to expect? I, My but, model really likes them. I mean, like it doesn't understand what just happened to him last week. It's just looking at a pure number grab perspective and it thinks he's a good bet at 50 to one. It thinks he's a good play at $8,600. Uh, it believes that the 9.5% I have that you can create a whole bunch of leverage of everybody from him and up. Uh, he would be the second best leverage play I have on my board behind Justin Thomas. So I'm fine going back to him. I, I think you kind of have to realize what could happen with him, but I don't know. I, I don't have a problem with it. Yeah, I think that's fair. So let's combine the last two sections together very quickly. Um, give me your favorite plays or fades from the 7K and 6K tiers. Favorite play, Brian Harmon. I know his ownership's probably going to be crazy. I'm so exposed to him in the top placement market that maybe I could go a little bit lighter. But Justin Rose, I love yeah. uh, that he's finally getting back into form at 7K range. Tringali and Fowler are probably going to be my favorites. What's Cam Davis's price? 72, those three. Cam Davis, Fowler, and Tringali. I will be heavy on what is their ownership. Uh, Cam Davis is 1.7%. Give me that. Tringali. I know, I know he's a little sporadic off the tee, but. That's fine. I mean, like. He I, hits I, so damn long, he probably could hit three wood and survive unlike me on that course. He's found success at these venues before. We've talked about this, that when you give him these courses where he can club down, he seems to be better sometimes than these like bomber friendly you know, bomb and gouge properties. Like he's one at the rocket mortgage. So, I mean, that's a completely different venue than this, but, but still I've noticed historically, like you put him at some of these tighter venues, he has found success. Um, Tringali's 5.1%. And then what was the last one? Fowler? Fowler. No one's yeah, playing. 4% for him. All right. I feel like I could play. Can, what can I get with all three of them? Building the lineup on the show here. Tringali. Cameron Davis, Ricky Fowler. It's going to be very well balanced, I guess. But what about uh, Chalk on Harold Varner? I was going to ask you that same exact question. I'm I'm kind of happy you brought it up. I like him. I don't have a problem with the ownership necessarily. Uh, I prefer him to some other guys if you're looking like equally at ownership. Like if we're going to compare him directly to Chris Kirk, I would rather play Harold Varner every single time. Like if you gave me 150 lineups and I had to play one and every single one, give me Harold Varner. Like I I'm not really on the bandwagon of Chris Kirk this week. Uh, I agree with the Justin Rose call. He's probably my, either my favorite play on the board or the second favorite play behind Webb. And then just to throw out some random names that I like Troy Merritt, Christian Bezaden, Hout, Lucas I did Glover. Like Bez. I did like Bez a little bit. Glover. What did I hate? Probably his putting. Probably so. Um, <laughs> Glover's putting is so bad. Yeah. He's been good at this I'm course, out. though. Eighth in 2021, 23rd in 2020. I think the ball striking can work here. Um, I like Joel Dahman. I do like Matthew Neesmith. And then the best leverage play I have on the board, which I do see it trickling up right now, it was less than 1% yesterday. And now we're looking at more in the 3 4% range. But Stuart Sink at 7,100 and sub 5%. Um, any thoughts on those names before we move on? No, I love Stuart Sink, though. The other guys, I'm kind of in between. They don't grade out as well for me, but Stuart Sink is way up there for me, so I'm glad that you're on them. Real quick on this lineup, uh, Victor Hovland or 
Will Zell, you're going Highland, right? Well, let's. This is a really good segue into this, so let's talk about it. So, I, I have one head-to-head play that I like this week, and you know some of the books have matchups up at the time of recording. We are waiting on others, but I will give this one on here now. I don't normally play two guys near the top of the board, but I do like Victor Hovland minus one twenty over Will Zalatoris on DraftKings. For anyone thinking that that might have been some like alley oop setup, it wasn't. That's an organic conversation <laughs> with Nick asking that question, but. Uh, that has nothing to do with the potential runner-up hangover that Zalatoris might have, but more because of the questionable proximity numbers from some of the key distances this week. I know he's the number one player in this field for approach this season, but he's also 91st from 125 to 150 yards and 85th from 175 to 200 in my model when comparing him to his counterparts in this event. 38.5% of irons will come from those two ranges, which is 4% above average. And that is before we even get to the putting woes that will become even further emphasized by Bentgrass Greens. I wanted a way to find some exposure to Hovland, who I will mention now was the one player left off my outright card. So this felt like the perfect combination where I could get some action on Hovland while fading a golfer that my model believes is overpriced in all markets in Zalatoris. I love it. Here's the lineup. It is. I kind of absolutely love it. Hovland, Burns, Harmon, or you could play Rose in that spot. Tringali, Ricky Fowler, Cameron Davis. Plenty of different guys down low that are going to be sub 5% owned. And then Sam Burns is probably going to be pretty low owned. And then Hopland, I'm sure he'll be relatively chalky, but I think most people go to Will Z. Yeah, I think most of those names other than Harmon and um, Hovland, you're probably going to be looking at either, you know, roughly 10% or sub 10% on all those guys. So uh, it's definitely a way to get unique and different while having two chalky guys in your lineup. So I don't have a problem with that either. I just went on Sam Burns outright because I had to. So there you go. There's my last pick. Unless you have it too. Do you have it? I don't have a Sam Burns outright ticket, but um, I like him this week. All right. We'll see what price I can get. I, I, I like anytime that I look at my model and like he's number one in upside, that has to mean something. And, and you know, maybe I should have put a little bit more credence into that, but uh, when we get to the outright card, I mean, it'll kind of make sense why he ended up missing. Like, I don't know what number you see right now on him, Nick. Um, Looks like 30 to one on DraftKings. Good number. The, the best. And yeah, 30 to one DraftKings. Yeah, I, think, I got him at 26 to one. So a little bit of value. But if I could redo the situation and, and we can once again talk about it when we get there. But, um, you know, maybe We're going rogue I today. I like it. We're going rogue on the show. That's good. Keep it organic with it. But um, I probably would have not taken Kevin Knott 60 to one if I could redo it, which would have overexposed my card a little bit more than I would have cared for. But I, w- there are some problems with Knott that uh, like, I, I think that are, are real and maybe they don't come to fruition at this venue as much, but uh, yeah, I really like Burns. Like it just so happens that all the guys I ended up taking when I ran it from an upside perspective, and that's even including Kevin Knott, they all ranked inside the top eight for me of the five names I took. So, uh, you know, you kind of just have to pick and choose your spots. And when the card got really on the one, and when I grabbed one of the favorites in the field, you, you just can't bet everybody, unfortunately. Yep, I'm with that. All right, man, let's uh, let's take it to the placement market. I will start us off. My first play, Matthew Neesmith, top 40, plus 170 DraftKings, plus 105 FanDuel. I had this price properly at plus 130, so there's 40 points of value in this play. But the combination of his form and statistical makeup 
plays extremely well at a less than driver course. Neesmith is inside the top 40 for weighted proximity to mimic colonial. Part of that is because we remove 8.3% fewer approaches from over 200 yards. And he's also inside the top 15 when it comes to GIR percentage and good drive percentage. Those three factors give us a template of a golfer that should love shorter tests, which we know has historically been the case for him. And the only real concern will come down to the putter. 101st overall in my model over a two-year sample size on all greens in this field. 108th out of 120 players on bent grass. It's not rocket science to say that, you know, the better he putts, the better the result will be for the week. But I do believe we can land a top 40 if he's even borderline acceptable with the flat stick over four days. So any thoughts on Neesmith and what do you have for us first, man? Yeah, I like Neesmith. I think that's a pretty good ticket. It's a decent price. My model's got it right about 30 points of value. So I agree with that one. Um, for me, it's going to be Brian Harmon, top 25 on points bet. Minus 125. The market is pretty much exclusive to like the minus 170 range. That is what my model had him at. He has not missed a cut here, I believe, in a decade. Three straight top 35 finishes in general for Harmon. He is in great form. Model says he's an excellent course fit. Obviously, the course history data says that as well. He's accurate off the tee, damn near elite ball striking so far in the month of May, and he is one of the best bank grass putters. So I'm moving on Brian Harmon, minus 125 on points. But eating the juice for the hammer kid this week. I hate to do that, but he's so damn high on my model. I just I'm going to go with it. So the sweet swinging short lefty, go get it done for us, Mr. Harmon. Um, like a 28th place finish would be just fine. Actually, I do have an outright on him too. So you could win, but I don't love that one as much as 65 to one. There's barely any value, but I just, I love Harmon this week. Yeah. My model loves him from a safety perspective. So when we're looking specifically at a top 40 type wager, uh, that would probably be my preferred way of playing him in any sector of the market. Uh, sure. You, if you can find a head to head, that's going to work about the same way on that. Uh, but yeah, no problems with that. So nice. I am going to dart throw a play here. Luke Donald, top 40, plus 400 DraftKings, plus 230 on FanDuel. The safety is non-existent in this play, but the upside numbers do look incredibly stout in my model. Donald is 44 spots better on bent grass greens versus a typical surface. He is 28th in this field when recalculating the totals to mimic Colonial. And the weight of proximity looks top-notch during this helter-skelter run of results that he has given us recently. Honestly, anything around plus 250 would have given me some pause in thinking about placing this wager. So I will take a shot on the upside at plus 400 on DraftKings. Uh, please do not overly bet this if you do play it. But where do you have Donald ranked on your model, Nick? Oh, boy. Let's see. He's not that far down, actually. But um, 53rd. I have him. I have him 55th. I have him. Uh -huh. tw I have him 28th for upside and. Uh, I mean, that's the number that I like. And then he's 80th for safety. So it's going to be like that boom bust play with it. But I just like normally when you see things like that, you want to play it more than a top 40 and just get like the ultimate price that you can get on it. But I don't know what Luke Donald's upside actually is like to me, a top 40 at four to one sounds really good and it's priced well for me. So I don't know if I want to start like trying to find a top 30, a top 20 on him when I don't know if he can necessarily or if we should expect him to reach that territory. Yeah, I'm, I'm with that. I mean, four to one is a hell of a price for a guy that's close to the top 40 in your model overall too. So yep. with it. And I, I love the weighted proximity numbers. Like what we've seen recently from him, he is 11th uh, with the numbers I ran. He's 89th from proximity from 200 yards plus. We're going to get a lot less shots there over 8% fewer. So 
Uh, shorter irons coming in. That's kind of the Luke Donald special. But what do you like next, Nick? I am going, I guess, to summarize my card outside of Sunjay Amon Hovland. My outright card is nothing but bombs. I guess Harmon 65 to 1 is, you know, could be not considered a bomb. I guess someone that's not triple digits. But my top 40 tickets are quite short in terms of the pricing. I'm going with Maverick McNeely, even money on FanDuel. My price is minus 140. Solid form. Nothing spectacular like, you know, the guys I'm going to talk about in a little bit, but my mile seems to really love this spot here for Maverick, despite a rough showing Saturday and Sunday at the PGA. I think Sunday he was actually a little bit better because I did have some lineups with him, but two straight top 35 finishes at this event. Just need him to find his iron play that he showed earlier in the year. The, the stroke scan approach has not been what it was earlier. The putter will always keep him near the top third of the field as long as he's hitting green. So that's kind of where I'm at with Maverick McNeely. I think he should be a lock to finish in the top 30, but I will take the coward's way out and take the extra template spots of cushion. I just hate top 30s and top 20s because the most books that I bet do not pay the full uh, tie in yes. full. So I try to just get that extra 10 spots to hopefully avoid the whole situation of a tie. But Maverick McNeely, even money on FanDuel, top 40. What are your thoughts? Uh, I like it as a top 40. I think it's it's a very similar situation to the Harmon play where my model likes them more for safety. I, I think a top 40 makes a lot of sense and is probably the preferred way to play him. And as Nick said, I know we've alluded to this a lot on this show. If you don't have ties paying in full, that's the exact reason why I don't like playing things down to the top 5, 10, 20, 30 markets. When you look at these leaderboards at the end of the tournament, you always have like nine people tied between 23rd to or we'll even make it worse. Let's say 27th place to, you know, above there. So um, I, unless you like, unless you have bet MGM, that would be a legal book. Or if you have, you know, a, a site like Bovada, it's kind of hard to play it that way. So I, I think the top 40 bets are usually the more profitable ones. Yeah. I mean, like last week for me too, I had Fitzpatrick top five. I was going to take Fleetwood top five just because how much I liked him. Then I saw the draw, but Fitz, I was completely fine with him getting the bad draw with how good he is in the wind but i think it was a three-way tie with uh with chris kirk of all people the guy i was so high on but that kind of hurt because i didn't find a ton of value with matt fitzpatrick in the placing market but it was a guy that i loved so i did kind of roll the dice on the top five and i get the dead heat and that i hate that a three-way tie too of all things so not even just a tie with fleetwood but our boy chris kirk got in there so yeah i prefer to just find guys that i can get value in the top 40s I would completely agree with that. And then the last one I will give in the top 40 market is Stuart Sink, plus 135 FanDuel, plus 130 DraftKings. First to give a DFS answer, my model believes Sink should have been 8,500 and not 7,100. So give me all the leverage I can get on DraftKings. But from a statistical perspective and how he fits for a top 40 bet, the game is trending with back-to-back -to -back top 25 finishes. Think of Harbortown and these venues where he has found success in the past. And it starts to paint a picture of a golfer with not only a built-in floor, but perhaps more upside than meets the eye. Sink is one of the only golfers with no real red flags across the board. When I looked at the players in my model for good drive percentage at courses with narrow fairways, weighted proximity to mimic colonial, and weighted putting, there were only seven golfers to grade inside the top 40 for each. The majority were expected in Justin Thomas, Victor Hovland, Justin Rose, Webb Simpson, Sam Burns, and Abraham Answer. And then the one outlier to the group was Stuart Sink. That will be my three plays I am on this week, though. It is not the largest card, as I think they got the pricing correct in most spots. You don't have to look any further than someone like Troy Merritt, who I did want to play, but minus 155 on DraftKings and minus 110 on FanDuel just took all the value out of the play. But 
Do you want to take us home with your final plays in this section, man? Yeah, I got a couple. So Ricky Fowler, I talked about him. I absolutely love Ricky Fowler this week. Top 40 plus 110 on DraftKings. Mondo doesn't love it as much. My price is minus 125, so just about you know exactly 35 points of value. So it fits my threshold there. Course history really isn't going to be a thing of late with Ricky Fowler at any venue for the most part. But like I said, the iron play is coming on very strong. I believe he's gained strokes approach in five straight rounds in eight of the last nine. The putter, we all know the issue with Ricky Fowler. The putting has just slowly been creeping away over the past five years, getting worse, worse, and worse. He used to be one of the best putters on tour, but putting on bent grass is where Ricky is usually at his best. So I'm going to buy the form of that iron play, get him on the green, and a very familiar surface of bent grass for Ricky to get his putter right. I'm buying low on Ricky Fowler. Cameron Tringale talked about how much I like him, plus 125 on FanDuel. My price is minus 110, so again, 35 points of value. Um, elite ball striking right now. I think he's gained strokes, gained approach in 10 of the last 11. Elite bent grass putter. And then same with Cam Davis, plus 160 on FanDuel. My price is plus 120, so 40 points of value with him. Similar situation to Tringale. Approaching uh, approach has been great, gained strokes there in six straight events, and another very good bent grass putter. Just find the fairways, Cam. Don't spend your weekend in the trees like I do on the simulator at Colonial, and you'll be just fine. I heavily considered betting Ricky Fowler to win the tournament. Uh, so I did. I, I, I did. Hundred to one on DraftKings, baby. That's my first outright play. We'll go right there. I, I I like it a lot. So I mean, when we look at the recent form, two top twenty-five finishes in a row. He is also the second largest climber in my model when it comes to bent grass putting versus his expected value on a regular green. So, I mean, that would be including bent grass into it a little bit, but if you just took a random green, picked it out, out of a hat, could be any surface. He um, is the second biggest mover there once he gets bent grass. So I considered it. I didn't do it, but my first play I will give is Colin Morikawa 18 to one on FanDuel. The putter has gone ice cold lately, but the American was still the top ranked player in my model for looking at who could create the most makeable opportunities. We know he isn't likely to make a ton of putts ever, but I will still take a chance on him when we get these courses where his overall ball striking should separate him from the field. I considered Victor Hovland. Um, I didn't end up going that way. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about Victor Hovland? Um, no, go ahead. I mean, I, I, that was the, the shortest outright ticket that I did. So we could skip my portion on Victor Hovland, but yeah, 20 to one on DraftKings, I think was the best price out there. The market's pretty much 18, 19, 20. So right in that range, didn't have a ton of value. My model has him at 16 to one. So, um, again, just because around the green doesn't mean anything. We haven't really seen Victor splash in a while. Iron play is always going to be elite. He's great off the tee. He's long. I think he could really make, uh, I think he's going to make these par fives look easy. Yeah, I, I like Hovland. Um, and I like him in a birdie fest, too. I do, too. Which it's likely to be. So I like Vic. That's yeah. about as analytical as I got into it. <laughs> I saw 21. My mile had 16 to 1. That was the only like guy up top that I really had value on. So I went with Vic. I decided to bet him against Will Zalatoris over the outright. That was my way to play it. Sharp markets or offshore markets absolutely love him this week. He's a massive favorite, even against Colin Morikawa. I noticed that. I'm going to trust my numbers on Colin for the outright portion here. But uh, the second play I will give is Abraham Answer at 40 to 1 on DraftKings. Answer has one of the more high end profiles in this field eighth in bent grass putting, 16th in weighted proximity, and then seventh in good drive percentage. 
I know how you feel about answer this week, so I'm not going to ask you that, but uh, uh, you want to give your next play, Nick? Was on mute there. Um, Sanjay M, 35 to 1, DraftKings. Kind of talked about him a lot on the show already. I just don't know what to expect with the layoff, but my miles got him at 25 to 1, assuming that he's been playing golf recently. So coming off COVID, I guess we don't know how sick he was. I haven't really seen any media at all about Sanjay M, but he seems to be the forgotten elite player in this field. So that's kind of my my lead in there with Sanjay, but um, he's just a really good course fit for my model. Yeah, and then I will go, and I know we've talked about him a lot, so I won't spend a ton of time on it, but Justin Rose, 65-1 to on DraftKings. He's top 20 in all those categories I keep reading off over and over. 13th last week at the PGA Championship, and three top 20s at this venue in his last four attempts, including a win in 2018. Uh, Just to throw out another name, I did bet Kevin Knott, 60-1. to That was at an offshore book. We have seen him win here at the past, but I do have some concerns with his current form. The results look better than the numbers as he has averaged negatives 3.08 shots off the tee over his last four trackable starts. He has gained eight shots around the green and putting at the PGA Championship. That's less than ideal. At 18% on DraftKings, I would be cautious. That's all I'm going to say. He can find success. The price tag is fade. Fade him. Just fade. Just say it. Fade him. I would just, I guess the easiest way to say it is I would, yes, and I would rather get my exposure to him as an outright ticket, like more than anything, like even above playing him in cash games or playing him in the head to head. I think the best way to play him is try to bet on the upside. If it comes in great, if it doesn't, then we can avoid 18% of people. I like that. All right, Nick, what else do you have? And I have one more to give after. So I did have Justin Rose and I did have Hovland. So Cameron Tringali, hundred to one on FanDuel. And then my last one, Cam Davis, 150 to one on DraftKings. And then my last one is I am going to go back to Mr. High Upside himself, Webb oh, no. Simpson at 48 to 1 on Fantole. <laughs> the number did drop some overnight, probably because everyone sees the potential that I do, but he's still going to be playable at anything you can find. Shop around to catch the best number you can, but we get a lot of what I have mentioned with answer from Webb sixth in weighted putting, 12th in good drive percentage, and 10th in weighted proximity. I think Webb Simpson's going to win the tournament this week. I'm say that every week but i think he's gonna win the tournament this week and i'm planning my flag there if you say it every week it's eventually gonna hit and you'll look like a genius then but all right in terms of course history who do you trust more webb simpson two missed cuts in a row or sunjay m two out of three so like webb's got the the miscut miscut and then i think he what he finished top five back in i don't know a couple four years five years ago i don't know if i i, I was looking at it earlier i don't remember I- my model just in general trusts Webb a little bit more, but when we look at those two guys specifically, like if I'm looking from a safety perspective, they're within a handful of slots of each other. It does trust Webb a little bit more. Like uh, just from a course history, so Sungjae is 65th in my model. Um, and so what, Webb, what is Sungjae miscut and top 10 miscut? Yeah, so Sungjae um, miscut, 10th miscut. That's on the button, okay, yeah. Yeah, and so I, they're both risky in terms of that, but I don't care about course history too much. This course, my miles says it does matter with the predictability, but I will go, uh, I don't know, gentleman's bet. I'm going to take Sanjay over Webb Simpson. I like it. I'll, I will take Webb. Um, mm-hmm. When I'm looking at my model, anybody who's using my model, uh, you will notice that a miscut, miscut, and fifth 
probably doesn't equal an average of a 40th place finish for him. That is me going in and changing some of the data on it. So, um, fudging the numbers. He's fudging the numbers on Webb Simpson, people, right here on there. If I make it to what it should actually be, so I'll run a code very fast to see what he would. Um, you want to just talk for a second? Let me put this in. Uh, yeah, I did take one first round leader bet, first time or second time all year. It is really stupid, but the guy goes low on Thursdays. My model seemed to like him. I just really couldn't find a value ticket. He was plus 200 uh, to finish top 40. I don't love that, but Peter Malnati, first round leader, 130 to one on DraftKings. What do you think about Peter Malnati? My model seems to love him, but I just couldn't find any market that really had a good value for me. I don't know. He's 69th in my model. That's probably the best thing about him. Well, it put, puts like 10% weight on bucket hats, and then him and Jill Damon will go up a little bit. Well, Domin will end up being the number Common one player Damon. in my model if I do that. I mess that up all the time. All right, well, Melnati's probably number two then. I think they're the only two that wear it. Yeah, as far as Webb Simpson is concerned, he would move to 62nd in my model if I actually ran it the way that it should be with yeah, that. Yeah, so you're so. fudging the numbers 22 spots. Unbelievable. <laughs> You got to do what you have to do to get guys like Jason Day. You're convincing yourself that you have to play him some way, somehow. So you skew the data to make him show up as a value. I respect that. No, Here's the thing with that, though. So from an overall rank perspective, yes, that is true. But from an upside perspective, he is fifth in my model because that's going to take 0% weight from any of that with it. So I that's more so me putting it in there to see, like, if I gave him a couple better results and Really, that was just me removing one of the miscuts for the most part with it. Like, it's like, just remove one of the miscuts and let's figure out where this number jumps to. And uh, that's where he goes to 11th with it. So it doesn't make a massive difference at the end of the day. But from an outright betting perspective, Mr. High Upside himself would be on the card no matter what. That's fair. And shout out to the Model Maniac for the uh, ridiculous uh, great. Yeah, Spider-Man thing with Webb. But I get it. The the spider web. Really uh pony good stuff. But yeah, that's that's all I got. Um Melnati first round leader, gross, but I had to in you know, in honor of Sia. Sia's still with us, so don't think that's like, you know, a, mem- a memorial or anything. <laughs> Sia, shout out if you're listening. But I just had to get one uh one more ticket in there to fill out the card. Probably a good way to play Melnati and just uh take guy goes low on Thursdays. I mean, just look at it. He goes low on Thursdays and Sundays, I think. Uh Friday, Saturday kind of just hangs around, but yeah. Well, I can buy that a lot more than like trying to get exposure to him in other markets. But uh, yeah, I think that's it for me also. Um, do you want to let everyone know where they can follow you, Nick? Yeah, at Picks, S-T-I-X-P-I-C-K-S on Twitter. That I believe is the only social media I have. But yeah, shout out to everybody. Um, another big winner last week on Twitter. What was he? Yeah. Oh, Sloss. Sloss Revenge. Hell of a hit for him. Um, so shout out to you. And uh, yeah, I just let's get another screenshot of a winner this week and from somebody else. And we'll uh, we'd love to interview somebody else. So bring on a another big winner. We'll get you on the show and uh, we'll go from there. Yep. Keep sending us those screenshots. We'll get you on this show. But as Nick said, you can follow him at Sticks Picks. I am on Twitter at Tee Off Sports. The two of us can be found together at Better Golf Pod. And if you have any questions about the tournament, please feel free to reach out to us at one of those handles. Good luck to everyone wagering money on the Webb Simpson Challenge at Colonial. And we will see you guys back here next Tuesday.